Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Thank you, Father. Two things real quick. If you're sitting next to someone on a row that you don't even know their names, because we do that a lot around here because of two services, how can we continue to talk about being connected if we don't even know each other's names? Would you just lean over right now and introduce yourself? I know it's different. I know some of you shy and all that, but some of y'all need to get to know, get to know, get to know. Yeah, you Charlie's introducing himself to his own wife. I don't know. <laughs> I hear you. Man, I'm glad Jesus is here, and I'm also glad that you're here. Let me just uh, be selfish for one moment. Can I just be selfish for a moment? Oh, well, I'm going to be anyway because I got the mic. All right. Uh, uh, I... Um, I know you guys have been praying, and we had a miracle at our house this week. It's not the only one we ever had, but this is a pretty significant one. Um, after all my heart issues, uh, my cholesterol wasn't behaving, and they put me on some medicine. And I was pretty worried about it uh, because of some other long-term liver stuff that I got going on. Never drank in my life, but my liver enzymes think I have. I don't know what's all about that, but anyway... Um, so I went to uh, the doctor this week, uh, actually this th workout place that I go to at the hospital. I was graduating from it, um, and uh, they did a blood test. And lo and behold, my cholesterol had dropped 100 points <laughs> to normal. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, it's hard for me to be normal, but it was normal. And even my uh, liver enzymes were uh, right where they need to be. So I'm thankful that God still answers prayers, amen. And so... So I, I, I haven't cheated a lot, but I did eat chocolate lasagna last night, and I haven't done that in a while, but uh, it was a small piece. That's, that's my celebration uh, was chocolate lasagna. If y'all don't know, then you just don't know, uh, and it's good stuff. But um, Well, uh, in our constant search and longing for miracles, I think what we often do because we so want to see miracles is we overlook. What I believe is probably the pinnacle of all creative miracles. Uh, the intricacies and the precisions that were required to perform this miracle is mind-boggling. In fact, even so many thousands of years later after it took place, even our brightest and our best still can't figure it out. How does it all work? How does it all go together? Uh, how, does it, how does it function? David recognized the incredible handiwork of God uh, in creating man's body. His recognition is recorded and declared and captured in Psalm chapter 139, uh, verses 13 and 14. He's examining his own physical body, and he recognized that there was such a miracle that had taken place that he declares this. He says, for you created my inmost being. 
You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. Some of us just need to have a revelation this morning that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Even if you don't match up to Hollyweird's unbelievably unrealistic expectations and standards, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, and we forget that sometimes. One of the greatest miracles that God ever performed was that he created man's body. And he did this by establishing biological systems inside of us that carry out specific functions. And these systems are necessary for everyday living. Pastor Woody talked about that last week. You don't think about breathing, you just breathe. Uh, the only time you're going to think about breathing is when you're not breathing. Uh, you don't think about your heart beating until you have a situation where your heart's not beating like it's supposed to. Amen. And all of a sudden, you become aware that there's a biological system inside of you that functions without you even thinking about it. And, and so he, he did all of that. And then, then we discover that our physical body survives. Our physical body survives by maintaining or restoring its internal environment. So then you fast forward and... God sends his only son not only to save us but to gather us to establish the church. Church was not man's idea. It was God's idea. And he establishes this thing called the church. And in, in, when he's needing a way to articulate and explain the church to us, he reverts back as a visual representation of the church when he's trying to put it on terms and and ways that we would understand our body is the visual representation our physical body becomes the physical the visible representation of what the church is supposed to be like that's how I am, such a miraculous thing it is and so exactly like our physical body our spiritual body the church consists of individuals and relationships that carry out specific functions specific functions and so just as i said about the physical body we also have to say about this body our survival depends on our ability to maintain and at times restore our internal environment if the if the body the spiritual body that god has placed us in is going to survive and be significant then we've got to re maintain and restore the environment sounds like climate change. I don't know where that, that whole concept comes from, but we got to restore that sometimes. Paul understood that, and he begins to teach us. Now, y'all got to understand, I, 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 I'm going to do something I don't normally do. I'm going to give my ushers instructions. When the second crowd gets here, just hold them out there. I'm not going to rush this. I got 10 pages of notes. Uh, and if we're gonna if we're gonna deal with what we need to deal with, we got to get through this. All right? Will you give me permission if I go a little long this morning? I don't. Have, do I ever ask for that? No. I'm gonna do. I may do it. I, this is your warning. This is your 45 minute warning right here. I may go a little long this morning because this stuff is crucial. Paul comes along in Romans chapter 12 and, and verse 5 and 6. Uh, Pastor Woody read it last week, and he begins to explain to us using the physical body what the church is supposed to be like he says it like this he says in this way we are like the various parts of a human body Eat, listen to this each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole not the other way around the body 
we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Listen to this phrase right here. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of his body. This is not in my notes, but let me just say this to you. The reason that a lot of folks are walking around through life and they can't find meaning and purpose is because they're trying to find it on their own, and they'll never find it on their own because this is not my idea. This wasn't Paul's idea. This was God's idea that you can only find your meaning when you're connected to the body. The body. And he goes on and he says, but as a chopped off finger or cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? So since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we aren't. He goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14 through 18, and he says this. He says, I want you to think about how all this makes you significant, not less. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's all the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. If foot said, I'm not elegant like the hand, embellished with rings, I guess I don't belong to the body. Would that make it so? If ear said, I'm not beautiful like the eye, limpid and expressive, I don't deserve a place on the head, would you want someone to remove it from the body? If the body was all eye, how could it hear? If all ear, how could it smell? As it is, we see that God has carefully placed each part of the body right where he wanted it. Then he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25, the way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. On July the 5th, I stood in this pulpit and preached a sermon called Excessive Celebration and identified five principalities or principles, ways of thinking that we must confront and combat in order for us to function properly as the body. And we kicked this off. Last month we dealt with civil wars, how to fight fair. How do you get through life of a life of war and survive? And now we've come to this. We're still battling the same principle of principality. We are coming against the disruptive and destructive principality of isolation. You were never formed. You have never been created to operate in isolation and try to do life by yourself. The body will never function properly. Pastor Woody talked about being connected last week. You've got to be connected. Our survival and our significance is directly tied to our connectedness. And in order to break down this spirit of isolation, we must operate as the body. So let's go one step further because it is possible. It is possible to be attached at a surface level and to settle at acquaintance deep level. That is possible. Some of you stuck there this morning because all you had to talk about this morning, although it was a great game, was the OU game. That's all. That's It never got beyond who did what in the game because you're connected at a surface level. The, the dilemma there is that at surface level, we can never find ourselves operating and functioning properly as a body. You cannot do that at just surface level. 
It's got to go deeper than that. It's got to go deeper than that. Our connection must move beyond surface level, and our connection must become covenant level. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. In the following weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the fact that in the body we are called to carry and comfort one another. We're going to talk about the fact that we're called to confront one another. A lot of churches don't talk about that, and not a lot of churches doing that right now because nobody wants to be confronted. Just make me feel good, and I'll go home. And, but but as, if we're going to function properly as the body, we've got to carry comfort and confront one another. See, all the C's, what he was right. It's an Ely thing. Um, but you cannot operate in caring and comforting and confronting one another if you first don't become connected at a deeper level into covenant. It requires covenant. David goes so far that he makes this statement. He, he makes a statement in Psalms chapter 92, verse 13. He's talking about the righteous, that's us. He's talking about the righteous, and he makes this statement. He says, the righteous, when they're planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. Did you catch that? He says, we flourish... When we're planted in the house of the Lord. Okay, so our ability to flourish is connected to our plantedness. I can't get no help this morning. Our ability to flourish, for you, and, for you to be able to accomplish and become what God wants you to become, because that's the goal, was for you to fulfill your destiny, find your purpose in life. The only way, according to David, to pull that off is you've got to be planted, planted in the house of the Lord. Okay. I believe that our lack of plantedness is directly attributable to our lack of covenant. So therefore, let me say it like this. I know it sounds funny the way I'm going to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway because I'm, that's, y'all know. Okay, so in other words, we can't, we can't be fruited because we aren't rooted. All right, so, so a lot of you have fruit that God wants to produce in your life. But we never see the fruit. We never harvest any fruit from your life because there's no root in you. So what takes place then is that because we're connected only at surface level, surface never equals planted. And, and in this day, since we're not planted, what happens with no covenant in place is every wind and every wave drives us to something else. We're looking for something else. Got to find something. There's got to be something. We talked about this. We think that different means better. Right, and that's not necessarily true. David says you've got to become planted in the house of God. I believe that what we've done is we've confused relationships of convenience with those that are covenant. So what happens then is, and we talked a little bit about this in civil wars, but I'm going to go a little further here, is what happens is we avoid or we abandon covenant relationships for convenient relationships that we can enter and exit with no accountability or responsibility. We don't like covenant because we're going to talk about this. Covenant comes with responsibilities. So what we do is we trade in covenant responsibilities with convenient re relationships and we want to, so that we can exit and nobody will hold us. I don't want to, I just want to skip and nobody know. I just don't want to have any relationship and nobody know. I just want to be anonymous. Anonymous does not work as part of the body. Does not 
you have any anonymous part on your body right now that you don't know about? No. It doesn't work that way. But we, we, what we do is we confuse those relationships, and then it goes one step further. We are a lot of times only in convenient relationships, but then we get angry when convenient relationships don't produce the fruit of covenant relationships. And we get angry at those people because they're not fulfilling the responsibilities that we expect from them, even though it was never a covenant relationship to begin with. So we get angry and we get confused, but we haven't paid the high price of covenant. All we've done is develop convenience. I'll hang out with you when it's convenient. I'll see you just on Sunday morning because it's convenient. I'm already coming to church anyway. You happen to be here. It's not convenient for me to make time during the course of the week to do a small group. So I'm not interested. So I'm just at a convenient level. Then all hell breaks loose in my life, and I'm sick, and I'm discouraged. I'm a delusion, and I want to put in place demands on you of covenant relationship, but we're only connected at convenience. And so you don't call me, and you don't check up on me, and you don't send me flowers, and I didn't get a card, and so I don't like you anymore, and I'm on break off this relationship, and we go, well, tough. We weren't in covenant anyway. Okay. Uh, Y'all were worshiping real good just a few minutes ago. I don't know what happened, but see, covenant can be explored throughout Scripture. God made covenant with man. Man made covenant with man. The making of covenant in Scripture was an extremely serious business. This is not some flippant thing we just talk about because it's cool to talk about covenant in church. No, this was serious business. When, when a man would make a covenant with another man or God would make a covenant with man, it was extremely important and there was the, it was the strongest bond that man knew about. And this is what it did. It had both business and personal applications that extended even to the descendants of the two parties that were entering covenant. In other words... What we're trying to express to you is that if we can ever connect at covenant level, it won't just impact you, it will impact your children and your children's children. So so a covenant was typically solemnized, uh, solemnized by a great ceremony and ritual. One of the ceremonies that you read about in Scripture, I'm not even going to go into it very deep, but in Genesis, God has a covenant with Abram or Abraham. He changes his name. And you'll remember they laid out animals, and it's supposed to be both parties are supposed to pass through the cut in half animals in a figure eight. The difference in this one was is that God put Abram to sleep, and he walked through the animals, signifying that it was his responsibility to carry out the covenant, uh, the the responsibilities of the covenant rather than Abraham because he knew Abraham couldn't keep the covenant like he wanted him to. So God says, it's all on me. And the the dead animals represented that this this is the repercussions. If you break this covenant, then what will take place is you're walking through dead animals in a figure eight representing infinity. It goes on forever. But here is the price you pay if you break the covenant, death. That's what it was all about. Well, there's a, uh, a uh, ceremony that we see in Scripture that we're going to talk about. Let me, let me give you this piece of information so you'll see what's playing out here in Scripture. Uh, if you begin to search through Scripture, what you discover is that typically covenants, the ceremonies involved up to seven steps. 
And we're not going to deal with all of them. We're going to deal with four this morning very quickly. Uh, but there are seven steps. I just want you to see them. Uh, the first step was each man handed his outer garment to the other. The second was they exchanged sword, bow, and other weapons. The third was they cut themselves in the wrist to make their blood flow. And then they joined their right hands and forearms together in a gesture, gesture from which we now get the modern-day handshake. Uh, the fourth one was they let the cut heal in such a way as to leave a visible scar on their wrist. They shared a ceremonial meal, usually bread and wine. Pastor Woody talked some about that last week, the breaking of bread. They, uh, another way that they would do is they would take a portion of each other's name, similar to the way a bride takes the name of a groom in Western culture today. This was serious stuff. I'm now Stephen Tyrone Ely. Because we, okay, whatever. Um, and then some of y'all weren't here. You don't have a clue what I was just talking about. So it doesn't matter. Uh, seven, uh, the seventh was they would, they would build a monument or a memorial to that particular ceremony. Now, what I'm going to do this morning is I want to take you to a passage of Scripture, and I want to show you a covenant take place. And in this particular passage of Scripture, they, they fulfill step one and step two. They don't do three and four, the cutting of the wrist. But, but I think when you begin to search out their life, what you discover is they at least understood that thought was also part of the deal. Because the way they operated after this took place, something happened. They, they were in covenant with one another. You know this story. It's 1 Samuel chapter 18, beginning in verse 1 down through verse 4. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan, who was Saul's son, became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. John, here it is. Here's the ceremony. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic. And then he even gave him his sword, his bow, and his belt. Covenant. If we're going to function properly as a body, then we must also not just be connected. We have got to find people in this body that God has placed you in that you enter into a covenant relationship that has implications not just for you, but for your entire family. It's got to happen. So here's this covenant ceremony. We're going to talk about it. What happens is David and Jonathan are knit together at the heart. They go through the ceremony. And guess what? Anytime you make a, a covenant, there's fruit. And their lives show you the fruit. So let me run you through this. Now, I blew it, Pastor Woody. I blew it. I had three Ps. Couldn't come up with a fourth. So we're going to do three Ps and a C. All right? Three Ps and a C. All right. Y'all don't care. All right. So uh, the first one is this. When you make co covenant, what is literally taking place is it has implication for provision. The Bible says that David and Jonathan switched garments, their outer garment and their tunic. And what it does is it symbolizes that everything that was belonging to me now belongs to you. And everything that belonged to you now belongs to me. Jonathan is standing there as heir apparent to the throne. His daddy's the king. If something happens to the king, guess who gets to be the next king? Jonathan. Jonathan's wearing priestly robes. David is wearing shepherd's robes. And they have this covenant relationship, and so they exchange their garments, and they're literally saying, Jonathan is literally saying to David, everything that is mine as, as a prince, all the provision that I have access to, now belongs to you. 
How many of you know this was not an equal thing? David didn't have as much to offer Jonathan, but it didn't matter. They were in covenant with one another. So David gives him, so now everything that I have is yours. Everything that you have is mine. We're connected. We're in covenant with one another. And you go, well, that's not even possible. That, that's Old Testament. That's not even possible in church. Really. Acts chapter 2. Okay, now we're talking New Testament. This is us. First church. Acts chapter 22, or 2, verse 44 through 45. We see this in New Testament action. Called to be like this in present day church. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Me do it, aren't you? I'm going to have to strip down, right? Just to, no, I'm not going to do that. Okay. Yeah. They literally exchanged possessions, provision. I see you in need, and I respond. And then the caveat that Pastor Woody alluded to last week, verse 47, and the Lord added to their number daily all those that were being saved. Y'all remember that? It's interesting to me that people were getting saved after people are in covenant. Okay. Maybe we don't see verse 47 today because our relationships are so shallow that we have replaced verse 44 and 45 with selfishness. If we are going to function properly, we have got to loosen the grip on stuff and invest in each other. Remember, one of the marks of kingdom climate is sharing, generosity. That's what happens when we enter covenant with one another. That does not happen at surface level because at surface level, I walk in and you say, how you doing? And I, even though I can't make my bill payments, even though my dog is sick, even though my house is falling apart, even though my life is in turmoil, I go, I'm blessed. Cool, I'm blessed too. Nice to see you this morning. That's surface level. Covenant level looks through all that and goes, there's a need there. I'm connected at a deep level. We must become sensitive to the need around us. I'm not talking about big, organized giving opportunities, although we have those. I am talking about being so connected in covenant that we see the need on a daily basis. And here it is. The covenant demands a response. I want to submit to you this morning that the fact that we have the ability to turn our head and our attention simply reveals that we failed to make covenant. When I can watch you going through need, and I can go, but my life is good, that means we're not in covenant. The second thing that takes place is this, is, is not only did the ceremony talk about provision, it represents and illustrates for us place and protection. They exchanged robes and swords and bow and other weapons. In this particular passage, the Bible says that they even went so far to exchange their belts. Uh, one version uses the different word. They use the, it uses the word they exchanged girdles. And I had issues when I read that, and uh, I like belt better. Uh, I kind of enjoy that that translation just a little bit better. <laughs> Some of y'all all right with girdle. I ain't, okay, all right. Uh, so here's what happens. The, the exchange of their robe 
speaks to place. When Jonathan disrobes and hands his kingly robe to, to David, there was a transfer of place. I per, New Testament, I prefer you over myself. It's about place. When we get into covenant like we're supposed to be, I will prefer you over me. Okay, uh, he honored David above himself. There was no jealousy. There was no struggle for dominance. There was no jockeying for position. There was only preference. That sounds like New Testament church. That means I prefer you above myself. If you shine, I want you to shine. I don't have to tear you down. If, if, if you sing better than me, I'll let you have the place. The exchange of weapons goes beyond just place. The exchange of weapons speaks to protection. They were pledging themselves to each other's defense. They were placing their power, if you would like to say it, they were giving each other their power at each other's disposal. And I want you to notice what they exchanged. I think this is pretty important. The Bible says they exchanged their swords. How many of you know a sword is a close-range weapon? i got to be close to you to get you with a sword. So literally what David and Jonathan were saying is when we're close to one another, I will treat you properly. I will protect you. I will watch for you. I can't get no help in this house. Uh, that means I, when I'm near you, your enemies become my enemies. And my enemies become yours. I got you, baby. You don't have to worry. I'm not going to sneak attack you. We're in this together. But then it says they also exchanged what? Their bow, long range. So when I'm not in the same room with you, I'm still going to say the same things about you that I said to your face. Oh, I, I'm going to protect you at a distance. I'm not going to hold you off at arm's length. When we're away from one another, I'm still watching for you. I'm still guarding you. I'm still protecting you. No enemy's going to sneak up from afar because even when I'm not in the same room, I'm at work and you're at work, I'm still calling out your name in prayer and I still have you on my mind and I know an enemy, oh, an enemy, I sense an enemy and I go to war on your behalf. That's covenant. And then they exchanged belts. A belt protected you from a low blow. We're going to illustrate that right now. Charlie, would you please stand up? I'm going to, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. He's good. He didn't want to be a part of my sermon. I don't know what's wrong with him today. We need folks that will protect one another from low blows. We have got to get in covenant so that you watch for me and defend me when I'm not around. You don't allow any cheap shots. We exchange our strengths and our weaknesses. Our enemies become common. Our friends become common. So in other words, if we're in covenant, what we're literally doing is we are building bridges and we're building guards for one another. That's what we're doing. Some of us just need somebody to watch our back. Some of us need to go to war when they see that we're being attacked. If we could get in covenant, I don't have to worry any longer about being stabbed in the back. And I don't have to question your motives. Because we're in covenant. No more fighting with. That's been traded in for fighting for. Jonathan took this so seriously that he chose David over his own father. You think about that one moment. That's literally what took place. 
Jonathan was such in deep covenant with David that when the opportunity came for Jonathan to ascend to the throne, that's, that's the, the line, the lineage, he interrupts his own lineage knowing that it's going to displace him and inserts David. He literally chose David over his own father. In other words, because of covenant relationship, David was more family than family. If we could ever, if we could ever get to that level where we're in covenant so that my place and my protection is wrapped up in you and we, we prefer one another, even over own family members, we, we're in covenant. The fourth one, I said it was a C, it's an H. I mean, it's, it's C, A, B, C, but it's H, sorry. Healing. Healing is wrapped up in covenant. James chapter 5 verse 16 says this, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And this, then he goes on and he says, Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and My concern is, is that we want healing, but we aren't comfortable with confession. And I think that's because we haven't come to the place where we can confess our sins to one another because we're not in covenant with one another. And why in the world would I confess to you the darkest areas of my life if we're not bound by covenant so that I know we've exchanged weapons so that now you're not going to take what I tell you and turn it around on me and destroy me? I'm preaching right now. My confession without covenant, confession without covenant, leads to destruction. Ever been there? But there's an equation that I want you to get. I need you to understand that, that the, the, the devastating truth is that our lack of covenant has led to a lack of healing. So here's the equation we've got to get. Covenant plus confession equals healing. You take any one of those out and it will never work. The body will never function properly. I don't, you, listen, the Catholics, for all their issues, they got one thing kind of right. They understand the power of confession. I'm not building a booth for you to come visit me every week. But you need somebody in your life that you trust enough that you can confess your sins to. Because when you do, out of covenant, you confess Healing takes place. I think that took place in Jonathan and David, or in David's life because of the covenant they shared. I don't have time, but, but Jonathan, Saul dies. Jonathan dies years later, showing his heart hasn't been wounded and his heart's been healed. David reaches out to Mephibosheth, directly linked to the covenant. How does that happen? Because his heart was healed. David, of all people, had the right to be hurt at Saul and despise Saul. His own father-in-law is trying to kill him. His own father-in-law is chasing him like an animal. And yet when he dies and his son dies, grandson shows up and David reaches out and provides for him because he's healed. One of the signs of covenant is that the two individuals would cut themselves on the wrist to make their blood flow. 
then they would join their right hand and let that blood intermingle. It's the concept of blood brothers. Okay. The Hebrew word translated for covenant comes from a root that actually means to cut. So what that tells me then is this. Covenant is never easy. And most often it, it, it involves pain. That's why you can't, just, you can't just come to church on Sunday morning and get into covenant because that's not life. You've got to involve yourself with one another's life. And through rough season, covenant forms, and it requires some pain. But here's the good news. The fruit of covenant is worth it. One of the things it says is that they would allow that, that, that wound in their wrist to heal so that their, the scar on their wrist would remain visible. You know what that means? That means as they're walking through life, they, 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 they operating, it alerts people that they're stronger than they appear to be. Because that scar says there's somebody pledged to me that will come to my defense in my time of need. I want to say to you this morning is, that, is this, is if we can ever get into covenant, we will be healed. And one of the powerful benefits is that our scars will no longer be a source of embarrassment or a sign of weakness. And instead, the scars that we walk around through life with will be a, a powerful testimony that we have found relationships that have produced healing in our lives. And the scars of our life will show people out there, there's a group of people that I'm in covenant with that I can go to and I can survive and I can make it through anything don't be ashamed of my scar my scar shows people I had people that loved me even when I was wounded people are, are looking for a place where their wounds can heal and what they've gone through will bind them together rather than dividing us there are people that they're looking for a place where broken their brokenness and their hurt and, and their embarrassing moments are no longer embarrassing they're embraced as a sign of covenant people are, are looking for a place where they can go and when they go through a divorce or when they end up in, with ailments or they've been bankrupt or they've gone to jail or they're they're destroyed by addiction they they come to a place and instead of that putting them off and nobody wants to be around them it draws us together and we heal them and it becomes a badge of brotherhood our scars show show this they show that we stay together through difficult times who do you have in your life at this very moment that celebrates your scars rather than ridicule, ridiculing your scars. That's how you tell whether you're in a covenant relationship or not. Because if I'm in a covenant relationship, I don't have to hide my failures from you. I can tell you about my failures. And instead of you going, man, he's all messed up. No, I helped you get through it. And we walk into healing together. We must graduate to covenant. If we're going to function properly as a body, then this is where we've got to get to. You cannot be at peace if I'm at war. You cannot revel in excess while I wallow in lack. I'm, I'm, that, that, is the, that is 
an indictment against the prosperity message right there. I got no problem with saying God wants to prosper us because he does. But I'm telling you right now, that is the that is the indictment where one guy gets all the benefit and everybody else gets nothing. I'm preaching right now. When the when the pastor's flying in private jets and driving up in Rolls Royces and other people are are barely being able to scrape together bus tickets, then I'm wall I I'm reveling in excess while you're wallowing in lack. That is ridiculous. That is not covenant. That is manipulation. I'm preaching right now. Uh, I'm telling you, you can't relax behind a tower and a moat and watch me fight for my life in hand-to-hand combat and never respond. We call out needs all week long to you through prayer chain. On Sunday morning, I mention them, and some of us never even blink an eye. While I'm saying so-and-so failed today, so-and-so had a heart attack, so-and-so is about to experience surgery, in your mind you're going, what are we going to do for lunch? I wonder if Papa Angelo's open. That's not covenant. Covenant means when I say they failed today, you go, well, they're not here. But as soon as I get out of here, I'm going to call them and say, are you doing okay? When I say they're about to have surgery, you go to war. God, please give the surgeon skill and give him the ability and give him wisdom. And I say they have a lack. How can I respond? What can I do? That's covenant. That's not church attendance. That's covenant. And here's the truth, and then I'll stop. i got to stop. But I don't even expect you to be in covenant with everybody in this room. In fact, that's probably not even feasible or practical. But if I'm in covenant with Tari, and Tari is in covenant with me, check this out. His friends become my friends. And his enemies become my enemies. Bridges. So if I'm in contact or in covenant with Tari, I'm not just in relationship with Tari now. I may never get to know the people that he's friends with very well, but if I see them in need because they're connected to him, then I'm in covenant with him. I must respond. So in other words, all I'm asking you to do, listen, this is, this is real practical. All I'm asking you to do is getting covenant with one person here. One person. And I'll, I'll go one step further because I heard a preacher one time say him one time, the only covenant relationships I need is God and my wife, baloney. That's stupid. So I'm discounting your spouse. One person, because somebody, I see you, I saw some of you look at each other and go, I got it, man. I don't have to do nothing. I ain't got to talk to nobody else. I'm just going to talk. That's great. But you need one other person. And if we would all get in covenant with one other person in this room, in this body, guess what happens? We're all connected. We're all connected. Our issue is that too many of us are in covenant with no one. You share a row, but you don't share life, and you don't share needs, and you don't share victories, and you don't share enemies. If the body is going to function properly, you can't just hold down a row. 
you've got to form a covenant relationship. Listen, we can't continue to complain about what we tolerate. And I hear a lot of complaining about, well, I don't know nobody. I'm not connected to nobody. I feel isolated. If you tolerate that, don't complain about it. I'm calling you to go to a deeper level. I'm calling you to become connected and then move one step further and go into covenant. Why? Our survival, our survival depends on our ability to maintain and at times restore our internal environment. And the internal environment in this house says this, we got to have some covenant relationships started or we don't survive. Father, I pray over this body today. And I recognize that what I'm calling people to is extremely difficult and costly. I recognize that this cannot be carried out on Sunday morning alone. I recognize that it means we're going to have to let our guards down. I recognize that it means I'm going to have to pay attention to those around me and sense needs and concerns. I recognize that it means I can't just come to church for what I can get. I have to come to church looking out for my brother, my sister. So, Father, I ask you this morning to break down walls of comfort zones. I ask you to tear down walls of selfishness. And I pray that you would move this body beyond just being connected. We would move to a covenant level. We would recognize that our friends are common, our enemies are common, our needs are common, so that we will respond, and so that ultimately, out of covenant, we confess, and out of confession comes healing, and we literally walk around healed and whole. God, I pray you'd place at least one person in each person's life that they don't have to worry about sharing the darkest moments of their life with. They don't have to worry about information leaking that would destroy them. They don't have to worry about a sneak attack. They'll have somebody that will be their rear guard. They will watch for each other's back. God, I ask you, please give us folks like that. God, I'm asking you over the coming weeks that the Holy Spirit would speak to individuals and when they come into contact with one another and they're about to go surface level deep, not with everybody, but with the assigned people. They would feel the leading of the Holy Spirit that would say, stop just a moment. This is not supposed to be a surface relationship. There's something deeper here. And they would begin to open the possibilities, the doors to a covenant that would provide them a safe of place, a safe of, a place of safety where their scars could be healed. And their scars would become representative of the fact that somebody cared enough about me to restore me. And I'm stronger than I look because of who's with me. I ask that you would accomplish this in the mighty, powerful, life-giving basis of every covenant name of Jesus. Father, this morning I bring our movers to you. Individuals that we know are not in covenant with your son Jesus. They desperately need you. 
they need relationship with you. Father, there are some on our list that may have some surface level connection with you, but we're asking that they would go beyond that to covenant, that they would give their life away to you. That you would give them protection and provision and place, and that you would heal them. We ask you to do this. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around except my prayer team. If you're here this morning and you say, Steve, I recognize that the first relationship that I've got to have covenant in is I need a relationship with Jesus. I know him on a surface level, but I recognize I'm not in covenant with him. And I want to surrender my life to him this morning. I want to make a covenant that I will live for Jesus for the rest of my life. I will make him the Lord and my king. He's already shed blood as a sign of covenant. He's just waiting for you. If that's you this morning and you would like to give your life to Jesus, a personal relationship with Jesus, would you just raise your hand and then you can pull it right back down and say, that's me. I need to know him. I need that kind of relationship with him. Father, search our hearts. I ask you that our relationship with you would go so deep people would recognize it's not surface level, it's covenant. We're in this for the long haul. I thank you for making that covenant with us today. I ask you over the coming weeks and months, deepen our relationships with one another. We'll give you glory for it in Jesus' name. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.